0: I am a child of God. As I'm no longer to fear. So I am the child of God.
1: Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love.
0: You rescue me so I can stay and say, I am a child of God. You split the sea, you split. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My
1: feet are drowned in perfect love. Um, We're still in the middle of the kind of, I wouldn't call it a series because I, I actually. I don't really jump on board kind of doing series. And I I know I sound like a complete, uh, I just feel like a jerk saying that, like we've got it better. But um, we, we believe there's four things that we just want you guys to grasp and get and own and live out. And it's these four things on the walls. And we've already walked through living in love. If you missed it, it's online. Go to our website. The podcast is there. There's three of those. And then the second thing we did was word, worship, and prayer, which is right here. And there was also three of those. Last week was one of my favorite weeks we've ever had. We created these prayer frames in the back. If you have a prayer request, you write it on that. If you want to celebrate something, you write it on that. We opened our prayer room, which is actually open now on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Wednesdays from 9 to 4 or 5 to 4, and you can come in and just be in there. It's a great room. It's the kind of room you you sit in, and then three hours later, you're like, I missed a meeting, but you can use the excuse that you were praying, so it's all good. Um, we prayed Monday night with people here in the space, and I just really I have this sense and this feeling that God's really speaking to us right now and guiding us, and that He wants to speak more, and we can't get away from that. So developing this culture of prayer, it's to me, if you don't have prayer, still still on last week, it's a little bit like scarecrow Christianity, where there's something there, but it's not it's not life, it's not full, it might scare away some things, but... You're not going to interact with it. I believe Christianity without prayer is a little bit like a building without a foundation. So we just got to make it a priority. Our staff's going to be in there all week long. And, you know, um, I just want to inspire you to begin to pray, you know, and begin to build things here on earth in heaven that God will do in, in accordance to his will. So, but that was last week. This week we're moving into this one, which is Disciple Making Disciples. I'm going to read this to you guys real quick um, for those of you who can't read. We relationally engage with people who don't know Jesus, and we commit to the long haul. This means that, we, that at all times we are both shepherd and sheep, that we are intentional about our own spiritual formation and the spiritual formation of others. So this week we are jumping into disciple-making disciples. Why is this important? So for us, there's a, there's a lot of ways to grade success if you're a pastor or a church, and probably the most, most uh, abused way is the size of your church on Sunday mornings. And so, um, and so for us, what does success look like? I believe it boils down to this, which comes from a passage. This is directly out of a passage in Matthew. and It's 28, 16 through 20. And I believe it's the single best description of if you are successfully living out the gospel. Are disciples making disciples? Not, is your church massive in Atlanta? Not, how awesome is your youth ministry? Not, do you have the best worship pastors? Not, do you have the best speaker not how big, none of that, honestly, guys, that's kind of a fickle description of, a, of success. But it's our disciples making disciples. And so this is, all, this is almost a kind of a, a silent challenge to you in the room. And I didn't even want to do this, but I'm going to do it. Are you better at Sunday morning Christianity or are you better at disciple making disciples? And if we're, a lot of us are honest, a lot of us are really just better at Sunday morning Christianity. Because that's the culture we've been raised in. That's what's been shoved down our throats really for a long time, and so we're really good at that. We're really good at knowing how to gather together on a certain day. But it's a little bit like there's a village that God intended to be created, and we come in and visit the village once a week, right? And how much of that village can you really get that once a week? You know, the village in Africa, people live together. If you live in the village, you're part of the village, right? And that's different for us because we live in a society where it's not like that. We don't have villages, you know? We don't have... We don't have schedules set up where we can be together all the time, nor do many of you want to be together all the time. Let's just be for reals, okay? There's there's a reason we like, you know, our our loan space, you know, there's a, but I just want to challenge you today. If, If you believe this is God's place for you, this is really, this one specifically, it should make us look a little different from other ones. You won't see us get huge, and I'm totally okay with that. If we get too big, too quick, there are going to be people who are lost and fall through the cracks and are not discipled, and that's not okay. What is okay is being small until people can grow. Does that make sense? We just have to get over our ego a little bit, you know? I mean, again, just rambling. There's a season in my life where I felt like the only way to do this was to be the biggest, you know, and to be the most important speaker and to have the most podcast hits, and it doesn't even matter, you know? So what does it take to really build a community like Jesus wanted to build? It takes humility. It takes coming down out of your important room or heaven, taking off your God clothes like he did, submitting yourself to humanity to die. And that's kind of the invitation for us continually. Will you let what's really important be more important? Or will you fall for the lie, the great lie of American Christianity? Um, so I'm going to jump right in. I want to read you this passage, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. You can pull it up right here. Um, And we'll read it together. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, and this is the last thing he says to them. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Pray with me real quick. Father, we, we submit ourselves to you in this time. God. We, just, we don't want to have another guy preach a message about trying to do something that you're not trying to do. I don't want to be that guy. I've been that guy. I want to be the guy this morning that says yes to you leading us. Into what's really important, God. Because we'll all be at the end of our lives at some point, and we're all gonna look back and say, Did I really live this out the way that Jesus wanted me to? And I know I wanna be one that says, Amen and Amen. I let you lead, and I let you be the decider of what success was. And so, God, if we have to realign our schedules, um, if we have to calm down a little bit and be quiet a little bit, if we have to invite people to things we normally wouldn't invite people, If we have to answer calls we don't want to answer, if we have to ask someone to tell us their story when we really don't want to hear it, mold us into your image, God, so that we care about all the other people in this village. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to give you a quick definition of discipleship. Okay, so And this is kind of a collaboration. You'll get a lot of different things. In the Greek, it actually means learner. So in this context... A disciple in what we're talking about is someone who followed Jesus to become like him. And I think the best way, and you can pull this up, Jessica, is there a definition up here? Becoming like Christ in character and conduct. So the best way to say if you're going to be a Christian, that's what you got to do. That's what you want to do. You want to become like Christ in character and conduct. And that doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. And so today, hopefully, what I do is challenge you in a way... I don't, what I don't think this is going to be, this is not going to be one of those sermons you're like, oh my gosh, homeboy preached a great sermon. As much as if you leave here and you almost feel like your feathers were ruffled, I feel like I did a good job to challenge you into what God's leading you into. So first thing I want to do though is always scary when you do this, but I feel like we should be doing more. I wanted to have anybody in this room that can do it quickly. This is not an opportunity to share your life's message from start to finish, okay? This is just quick stuff. Has anyone in this room ever had just a rapid season of growth in their life to become more like Christ? If that is you and you've had that, I'd love to just hear you just for a moment share one minute. Here's what that season looked like. Does that make sense? This is where, this is a scary moment for me to do this. But I'm going to let you do it. So anybody. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. And you're a first timer, right?
0: Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you are not afraid to be in front of people. <laughs> Who else has, yeah, Jamie. Right. Which is? Discipling other women um, at Kansas City. And Navigator Ministry. Right. Awesome. Your whole life is for it now. That's great. Anybody else? Want to be brave? We sang a song about that today. (laughs) Hey. Yeah, that's legit. I love your story. You guys should ask him his story at some point. It's crazy. Um, So another thing we do here at our church is something called carabiners, and I just want to give out three real quick, and one of them's in kids' ministry, which is awesome. One of them is not here because they just had a baby, and the other ones are here, and I always kind of mess with these guys, but I wanted to give a carabiner to somebody. A carabiner for us, for new people, is it's... People who you see just genuinely caring for other people, it's just calling that out. And so the Pinto family is Jen Pinto and Bill Pinto. Jen is our children's pastor, and Bill helps with um, what's, the, what's the correct title? Pastoral care, coordinator. Pastoral care coordinator. He is not at all offended by what I just did. So he's really working through that. I can, you should see yourself about that soon. <laughs> So here's what I love about the Pintos from the beginning. <laughs> our hearts are to create people who do these things and live this way to where it's almost like a village mentality. These are walking, genuine village members. You can show up at their house at any point, knock on their door, and spend the evening with them. Um, you can call them. They're the ones always answering needs. I mean, so much so that I'm like, stop answering needs. Other people need to step up because we don't want you guys to get burnt out, but I just want to give you guys a carabiner and say I'm thankful that you're in our lives as a church, as a model to the community, as people who live biblical lives. You could care less about the Sunday experience, but you care so much about people, and it comes through. Raise your hand if you've had a meaningful conversation with Bill and Jen Pinto in your life. The other ones are lying, so... (laughs) I'll give you a carabiner later. Um, So for this week... There's three things over the next three weeks we're really going to speak to you guys. Discipleship one today is discipleship happens in community. Number two, next week we're going to talk about how it takes discipline. And then the third one will be a little bit about how we are living stones together. Am I, am I, you can tell us, give us a foretaste of the message you're going to preach on the 16th. is good, and Jordan's amazing. He leads our small groups, which will be one of the challenges at the end. So today, just getting into it, and I want to leave enough time at the end where we can spend some time talking with one another. But so the redemptive plan of redeeming communities and building communities has kind of always been God's plan. So it's not this idea that you get saved and you work out your own salvation in fear and, and trembling on your own. Right? That's that's meant to be taken in light of community. And so from the beginning, if you look at Genesis chapter one, and you can pull up these slides, Jessica. Um, as I'm calling them. You can, you can crank through them too as I'm, as I'm pulling them up. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 6. Is this chapter 1? No, 1, 126. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So the first thing you hear is for us to be created, not in his image, this is kind of baffling, but in our image. you guys catch that? In our image, which points to from the beginning, there's been this working, designed relationship that's between three. I say this too much, but this is why in prayer, when you go to pray, I think you go listening because there's already a conversation happening. There's already prayer happening. There's already a father that, that, re, re, praying. Uh, uh, what is it? No, <laughs> soliciting. <laughs> soliciting. No, not listening. Interceding, thank you. Interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Chad. So that's already happening. So you enter in, but I love how from the beginning God's not trying to show us how to do something that He wasn't already doing. This is from the beginning, the design. In relationship three happening. And then you move to chapter two, and this is where man comes into the picture. And you can pull this passage up. Genesis chapter two. Then God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper. Who is just right for him. And this is the entrance of community. And not only do you see the two of them, but you see before sin enters in chapter three, them walking through the garden and just having conversation, right? Before sin entered, just Im- imagine being Adam and Eve and walking through the garden, just having convo, fully naked with God, just naked, just walking around. You know what I'm saying? Not even caring. Then sin enters in chapter 3. And when sin enters in chapter 3, and I'm not going to pull this up, this is when the idea of shame and hiding and aloneness comes in. And this is really where a lot of us live. You know, This is where a lot of us kind of spend our time, being alone. In America, it's easier to be alone than in any other culture. In fact, we, our culture would shock other countries' culture because community in other countries is kind of a given. It's kind of a natural. But in America, we have a high value on individualism, on you becoming all that you can be and doing everything that God called you to do because you've been given a vision and God has called you, right? A lot of you language. So the beginning, when you accept Jesus, there's an invitation. So there's an invitation to come into something that's already existed. This is why in John chapter 1, 45 through 45-46, you can pull this up. The first thing that happens when Jesus starts his ministry is he walks around and he starts inviting dudes to join his band. So his first step, even in chapter one, is to go. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip. He replied, and I love here how it's not Jesus inviting Nathanael into community, but it's another, it's another one that will be a disciple. And so this idea of us, and this is, this is where I don't, want to, I don't want to lose you today. And I thank you, Jill, for praying over me today that you would be concise. This, to me, is so hard for me to talk about. It's so hard for me to find focal passages because the whole Bible is about discipleship. Right, with prayer last week, we can, it's easy to point to a couple passages that are just like, yeah, this is what it means, right? With discipleship, this is the whole Bible. It's the whole of everything. So the first thing I wanted you to know, and that you've got to know, and I want you to just please look at me real quick. Jesus is coming to invite you not to walk with him, but to walk with them. So, the beginning invitation for you is not for you to do this on your own, it's an invitation into a community. That's his goal. It's not this, and I think it's, it's there from the beginning. When you're a kid, you know, and, and, and you're in second grade, if you're school or whatever the first time you received an invite from somebody, right? Like the first time you received an invite, your heart leapt. The first time you weren't invited to something. Do you remember the shame that you felt? Like I can remember in high school not being invited to something. Do you remember what it felt like to not be included? The invite into community, it's already there in us. When we're little kids and there's a birthday party, we wanna go, right? It's not until we're older and then somebody's like, did you get invited? And you're like, no, that you're like, yes, I don't have to go to that. That doesn't happen until you get older, right? Because when we're born, it's already in us. That's the truth, guys. That's a little bit of me. So this this transformative walk for me jumping into community is also a stretch. And I'm your pastor. There's something in us that through the society we live in desires aloneness. And not only that, is it's so easy, right? Social media for us, supposed to be the way that we connect, actually keeps us from connecting. Social media becomes the, almost like the, the artificial version of relationship where you're not even really yourself. Like half of us on Facebook aren't even really ourselves. We're portraying the best moments of our life and not talking about the worst. And so all anybody's getting are these awesome things, right? And so for us, like this invitation It's wired in us from the beginning, right? And trained out of us in our culture. And then we receive Jesus, or then we go to church, and there's really just a couple different forms of the Gospels being preached right now. One of them is join our church. In this form of the Gospel, Paramount is building this group to be big. It's impotent. That's an impotent Gospel. It's not beneficial. It's not going to help you. You might gain knowledge, but you will not become a disciple, right? There's another, another way to be singular in our society, you know, to where, I, and I feel like this is something we've done to ourselves in our community, is we talk about kind of the great big line Christianity is this personal evangelism style that started happening only in this previous century, where your Christianity is yours. And so your prayer time is alone, your devotion time is alone, your salvation is yours, and this mindset, singularity is good in some ways, but when it comes to Christianity, it will keep you from what God's called you to do. Have you ever been sitting with a group of people and sharing the word together? Have you ever been praying in a group? We prayed in here on Monday night in a group. It's, it's, it's compounded. The things that God intended for us to grow in are compounded in community. That's why I like Sunday gatherings. I don't, I don't want to destroy Sunday gatherings. I just want to share with you, and I want to challenge you. If this is the sum of your Christianity, if this room right now or the church that you came from, if that's the sum of your Christianity, you're not helping yourself and you're not helping your community. And some of you are going to leave here wanting to talk to me. We can set up a meeting and talk. I believe it with my whole life in this way. I've, I've come from a society and a culture where building a large number was very important. And we did it really well. And I left almost wanting to quit ministry. And I'll never do it that way again. In fact, if you put me somewhere where I had to do it that way, I would feel like I want to scream and cry. Because I know that that's not the plan that God has for us. I gotta know who you are. You gotta know who they are. You have to know each other. And it has to be outside of these walls. And I think the best description um, of how this plays out is, is with the idea of a village. And so, in a village, and I mentioned this at the beginning, you go in a village, if a child runs out and they're running into the street, everybody in the village knows about it runs out. If, if you're gone for an hour in a village you live in, People know, right? I went to Dubai two years ago, and I think it's probably the, one of the top two best examples of a village I've seen. And, and village life kind of comes on you quicker than you're able to process it. So I get off a plane, and I go stay with my brother, and it's 11.30 at night, and we walk over to his neighbors. And he's like, come in here and hang out. And I'm like, bro, it's like 11.30, and you want me to go in? That's like something we would never consider. If I stopped by your house at 11.30, you would shoot me. Some of you would literally shoot me. Some of you have guns on you at 11.30 at night. So we walk up and knock on this door, and I go in. Hey, come on in. I'm just a random dude sitting on their couch. One guy offers my brother a beer. I sit down on the couch. We're sitting there for an hour, 12.30. Kids run in. They should be asleep. It's village life. Who cares? You know, like, do whatever you want in the village. So I get up and go over to their house. I go, I'm I'm jet lagged. I go lay in a bed that's created for me, and it's Dubai, so it's like a marble castle that they live in, and the next morning I'm woken up by a guy I've never met, and the way that I'm woken up is he is laying on top of me. So he, he he and is one of my brother's friends, and this is kind of how my brother and I roll, but that was my wake-up call is, hey man, <laughs> this guy I've never met is laying on me. And in some weird way it was okay, and don't take that the wrong way, <laughs> but for some reason it was actually, it made sense. I get up, we go in the living room. There's people I've never seen in their living room. And I hang out with them. We all cook together. That night, my brother builds the most ghetto-rigged ever fire pit by using bricks on concrete. We cook out, and neighbors from every little house in a place that's actually named The Village come out, and we just eat, and we talk. And it's like... And I think to me, that was the, that was the closest thing I've ever seen to actual communal village life. Some of you are from countries that aren't America, and you've seen even better, and I know that you have. You've seen examples of community that's such genuine life together community, and even being here for you is really difficult because it's shocking to you because you've seen it, right? Another description and idea of community that was probably the best was one that was forced on me. I kind of forced on myself, but it was when I was in a rehab... When I was 17, I flew to Utah, got off a plane, and met 12 other teens from gangs, like real criminals from gangs. And then there's me, and, and they put us in the wilderness for two months together, and you lived life together for two months. Awful as it sounds, it was awful. It was also probably the best, it was one of the best times of my life because I knew these people like we're supposed to know each other. And they were all criminals. And somehow we found common bonds. We did fires together. We thought we found peyote together and then carved a bowl and smoked it together, <laughs> literally, and it didn't work and it made us sick. This is what kids at rehab do. <laughs> and we did that. We, we formed these little patties made of dough and the way that you cooked them was you threw them on the ashes and then you ate them. Some of y'all probably ate that before. You ate something called gorp, which is granola, but actually it stands for gooey, ooey, runny, pooey because when you eat it... It makes you go to the bathroom. So so in some ways, like these ideas of community that I've seen, like I would have never craved them at the time. And entering Christianity, it wouldn't have even been something I've wanted, right? When I entered Christianity, I wanted salvation. I wanted a calling. And I wanted to stop the stuff I was doing. And God was all along the way showing me little little trinkles of what he was trying to do through families that he would connect me with, through a guy that would spend an hour with me a week, through a lady that would disciple me. I met a family. I stayed at their house. And all from the beginning, these meaningful times that happen in our lives happen in the context of village life. In fact, I would even say if you've been discipled outside of that idea, you're going to have battles that you need somebody to help you walk through. There are people in this room who don't have genuine community right now and you have genuine struggles in your life that someone is in this room and can help you with, but no one knows you well enough to help you. No one knows what really makes you tick. No one knows that when you hit your ham- finger with a hammer, you actually say a curse word. No one knows that because they only get Sunday morning version of you. No one knows that you, know, you have irritable bowel syndrome. No one knows that when you were 14, God healed you of something. No one knows that you didn't make it through high school. No one knows that you really love this song, um, Whatever. No one knows that Jimmy Fallon is your favorite show at night. No one connects with you about, you know, loving hip-hop in the 90s. Phil, Cook, we all know that you love hip-hop. <laughs> See, no one knows you. Like, like that's the, that's the life God's called us into. I would even say, stop being good at Sunday Christianity. And I want you here. Believe me, I want you here. I want you here. I want you wherever you're going to be on Sunday. But stop set it aside and jump into this village life, or you're not going to grow. Because the whole purpose of this is disciple-making disciples, and that only happens in the context, context of community. It only happens in village life. It only happens in this idea that my life is now theirs. Do you know stories in this room? Why do I give random people who've never been to our church the opportunity to speak? Because more paramount to me is a, a sharp message that I would preach, but knowing that you know each other, because that's sustainable in a year. The message I preach today you will forget tonight. But the people that you hear their story that will sustain you. When you struggle with knowing, you know what? I was in re- you know what? My son was in rehab. I need to set up an appointment with Josh and let them talk. You need to hear the stories about the people in this room who don't have a father figure. You need to hear the stories about the ones who have fought through addiction, are coming through it, and are living for Jesus now. You need to hear the stories about the Erics that have been called into ministry and the Lukes who are doing FCA and the Karas who are stepping into full-time ministry in the heart of Atlanta. You need to hear that about each other. Now, this is bold. And if you're at a church where it never happens, I would ask you to have conversations with the leadership about it or don't. Don't be a part of it. You're not, it's not creating what God is trying to create in you. Life together mentality, where we go to the city, it takes this village lifestyle. So there's a couple. I want to just read you a, a passage in Acts. This is one you're going to hear way too much for much, but it's on one of these frames. I think it's on that one. And this is Acts two forty-two through 47. And it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship. There's a group of people who read this passage. This is going to sting someone. And think all that the church needs is the Holy Spirit. Because this basically says the church needs the Holy Spirit. But what is implied here but not said is these people were meeting together all the time. And knew each other. And meeting each other's needs. And on top of that. So person and people who feel like all your church needs is more of the Holy Spirit. I will contend with that and say, we need genuine relationships, and then let the Holy Spirit come on top of that, because if you do it in reverse, you're going to have some psychotic maniacs running around doing crazy things out of the context of community, and it's not going to help anybody. You may get noticed. Somebody might know you're gifted, but if you don't have a single relationship in the room, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. So the implied thing that they didn't have to imply with this community was they were already living together, doing life together. They met in homes all the time. They knew each other's story. If somebody had a sickness, they knew it. If somebody struggled with something, they knew it. If somebody's kid was struggling with learning whatever book in the the Torah, they knew it. Like, stop wanting the Holy Spirit's power more than what he's already done. And I want the Holy Spirit's power. Believe me. I'm not saying we don't need it. I'm saying there's too many people who are using it outside of the context of biblical community and it only damages. It only damages and it's not sustainable without relationships. So stop. Restart. What's implied here is not implied in our culture. We don't do good at relationship. We don't submit ourselves to each other, right? We pull into our garages and close our doors and drink our drinks and watch our shows and be gone with you. And he's calling again. I'm not answering. And this is just me talking. I don't know what you do. Like that's some of my most valuable times are those solo times. Like stay away from me. My kid needs to go to the hospital. I'm watching Jimmy Fallon. You'll wait. These are the things that have been ingrained in us, you know. And and I'm mad at the church. And I'm mad at myself for helping it happen. I'm mad at trying to make this as good as it can be so that I can facilitate loner you all week. When God is saying, stop, this is why we haven't used $1 on promoting our church. And we won't. We won't pay for promotion. Because if we pay for promotion, we're going to get a lot of people here and we're not going to know what to do with them. They're just going to be running around like infants and we're not going to be able to help them. This is why we open up service times for awkwardness. This is why we have life groups. This is why we challenge people to tell their story here. Because you cannot sit in a room for 20 years and listen to a man preach and think that you have been discipled. That's not discipleship. That might be learning. Jesus didn't guide the disciples and say, every Sunday morning at ten fifteen a.m., you're going to meet me here, and I'm going to teach you 30 minutes worth of stuff. He said, come walk with me. Here's how I drink water. Here's how I go to the bathroom. Here's how you go to the bathroom. Here's how I love people. Here's an enemy. Watch what I do when an enemy comes at me. Here's someone who wants to be with me. Watch what I do. Here's someone trying to kill me. Watch what I do. He wasn't like, in a moment when everyone's trying to kill me, here's what I'm going to do. They were just like, they're just following this dude around, right? Discipleship is not about listening to a man preach. That is a good part of it. I believe it. I'm called to do that. I love it. But you're, you're receiving lies if you think that's the, that's the end. Discipleship happens together. Discipleship comes from you, and you don't even know it. Ah, Discipleship happens when you're at a meal table, you know, and and you don't feel like you're strong enough biblically and someone's just being with you. Challenge to the older people. You know, the best part of your life and where you're most wise is when you're older. And I'm not saying I'm not casting stones at old people. I'm not And the worst times when we're the least wise is when we're younger. And we think we're the wisest when we're younger. And we act like we are. And we all know how church should be when we're 20, right? This is how church should be. Because we're all geniuses. It's not until you're older when you realize, I was actually a moron my whole life. (laughs) So laugh all you want, but older people, are you pouring into community? I'll just go as far as to say this. I'm 37 years old. There are people in this room who have knowledge way beyond me. And they need it. So the question isn't, do you like the church that Josh is preaching at? The question is, are you funneling discipleship through you into lives? Because you're the ones who have most of the knowledge. So when I've challenged, we need spiritual mothers and fathers. It's not because it looks cool to have spiritual mothers and fathers. It's because you have more to give than we have. We listen more around you. We need you in our church. I've recruited many older people. Because we need people in here for all the younger people who don't need older people, right? Because we all know you need someone older than you pouring into you. You do. And you also need to be pouring into someone. Just real quick, just a few minutes on kind of the, just this, like the pitfalls and the obstacles that you're going to face if this is the kind of lifestyle that you want to live, if you truly want to grow. What you've seen in your past, America just hasn't done a really good job. So it's not behavior modification. It's not teaching you how to act Better that's not discipleship that's part of it, it's not all programs. Programs can be confined into. You know I can do programs in two years. You know he's discipled. There's 72 year olds in this room who aren't fully discipled, right? Like, don't fall for this. Sunday is not the answer either. It helps, believe me. American individualism. Mother Teresa actually said when she looked at America, that the USA is the most socially impoverished country in the world. As I scan the landscape of America, she said. I see no visible community. My heart is broken. That's Mother Teresa, the great lie. Receive your salvation. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Develop a devotional life. Pray by yourself. It can all happen by yourself. You can sit on a couch and watch way better preachers than me preach way better messages and not be discipled. That's scary because one-on-one and community is where it's at. Leader dependence, another thing that's going to keep you if you still think that I'm supposed to be more than I'm supposed to be for you, if you think that the, the, this person is the only discipler and this person is always right, you're in trouble. You're going to be in trouble because I'm going to do something really dumb pretty soon and it's going to completely destroy your world if I'm that for you. And whatever church you came from today, whoever that person is, over-honoring someone and over-emphasizing one man will affect you in community. Because God didn't call us to be dependent on a man. He called us to be dependent on community. And he does that through a series of relationships. And so anybody, this is I believe anybody who preaches the gospel, should draw you from singularity into community. It should be drawing you out of your aloneness into communal life. Does that make sense? And if that's not happening, you're cre- it's a created dependence, and that's just not healthy. The next one is schedule. I wish Jason Jones was in here for this. Your schedule. This is probably America's biggest problem. We do too much. We work too hard. We want to achieve too much. We want to get the next raise. We want, a, we want a bigger house. So we schedule our lives to be so full that there's zero time for what really matters. There's zero time for what really matters. I mean, just think about it. Like, Pointing, poignant questions for you. Have you spent any time with the Lord this week? Just just that part of it. This isn't even about community. Have you even slowed down enough to say, Lord, your will be done today? Have you spent any time in the context of Christian community other than here where you're discipling each other? Your schedule. For us to be who God's called us to be, somebody's going to have to say no to some things that you feel like are number one. Jason Jones is hes probably in one of the rooms I saw. Um, he's in one of the rooms helping, which is awesome. He is a professional baseball player. He played actual professional baseball. So he, I listen when he talks. And one of the biggest things for us in America is we feel like our kids like, have to become the next greatest thing, especially in sports and especially in the South. So what we do is we're like, I'm giving 98% of my time to making sure that my kids are the best whatever. Jason Jones tells me, if they're good at what they're good at, they'll remain good at it. You don't have to be in baseball practice seven days a week for three hours a day. Reclaim and redeem your schedule. Listen, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Noah, I want to know how to do all kinds of great stuff. I want to be the best baseball player that's ever lived. I played baseball. I played in the Little League World Series. I'm just dropping that on (laughs) y'all. But at the end of the day, when I'm 80 and I'm looking at 60-year-old Noah, I could care less how good of a baseball player he was. I could give a rip if he could hit a ball out of the park. But what I do want to know is that he understands who he is in Christ, that he understands he is free in Christ, and that he understands he is here on this planet to take his gospel. If that happens, and I'm just, I'm challenging some of you, some of your children are going to be trained to be what America wants them to be. And God's saying, I'm trying to get hold of you so that your kids can be who I've called them to be. Reclaim your schedule. Reclaim your schedule. Sarah grew up in church, in a church of 100 people, and they made her go to church every day of the week, so there's some kickback in her. You know, when we have practice on life group night, I'm like, we're just going to life group. You know, I, that's me. She wouldn't do that. I, I, I feel like if there's one thing to pass to my kids, one main thing, one main thing, it's the truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I want them to fall in love with him, and if we're trying to cram him into bedtime and it's all a bedtime prayer, they're not getting that. That was a little long on that, I'm sorry. So we're going to close with this. I told you this was going to be heavier, more of a challenge than like, would not that, that message so encouraging? But I do believe the encouragement happens in the context of that, in community. And so today I want to just, there's a, there's a question I want to ask you and I just want you to interact with it. If you think about whatever community you're a part of, If you're a part of a community, this one maybe, do you feel like you come and visit a village once a week or do you feel like you're in the village? That's the question. Do you feel like you look around this room or whatever room from whatever church and you know stories of people and you know where they're at and you know what they're struggling with? Or do you feel like you come, you drive into a village once a week and you see village life and you even like what we talk about but you're not in the village, you know. My challenge to you is make a step. Do it make a step outside of the norm. Make a step. And so here's some of the ideas on some steps you can make. You can pull this up. Jessica. Your journey in the community. Invite someone. Not here. Please hear me. Don't, don't hear me say that. I care more about people being at your dinner table than in this. Much more. I want our church to grow. Don't get me wrong. Like, we just haven't, we had to start paying actual rent this month, three months in. And it's not little, it's not like $8. I want our church to grow. I want our finances to grow. But if I had to choose, I would want people to be connected to you and your home and to that Jesus. So invite people to your table. Look around this room, you know, like, are there people in here that you can tell when you're near them they don't have community? Invite them to your table, invite them to a table. And listen, somebody who feels like nobody's inviting me, this is not your like let you off the hook. Nobody's including me on anything. Like, nobody's including me. Knock on someone's stinking door. I do feel disconnected from community. I don't, I need help. Knock on a door. If that person doesn't buy into the village lifestyle, I need help. I just need someone to listen to my story. Knock on a door. No one is excluded. The next thing is, join a group. This is awesome. We have life groups. They're awesome. Ours is the best. Some of you others are probably almost as good. <laughs> go to the group, and not only go to the group, but open up in the group. Don't go to a group and just sit there and listen to people talk. I didn't have a time. Share. The best group moments are when people talk about things they shouldn't talk about. Always my favorite. This is going to be bad. Either when something's so, so transparent, people are like, did that just happen? Or when someone says something they shouldn't say, like inappropriate, I'm sorry. It does something to a group where you're like, all right, the walls just came down. Go to a group and let people see you. Um, the next thing is just it's real easy. Answer calls. Open your home. When you see the Facebook post that Jen posted yesterday, we need help in our baby room. Thank you, Mallory, and I hope she listens to this, for saying, I'll help. Respond, you know. Another challenge. God, this is painful for some of you. So those of you who have never volunteered for anything, volunteer for something. We need your help. Step in that way. When you lock arms with somebody and work with them, game changer. You know that person differently. It's so much better. When we built this stage, I've learned so much about Sam. I've learned she's a great worker, and she's here the whole time. When we painted this floor, I learned about a company that got stuff all over the walls. When all of this stuff, you know. The last thing is, listen to a story. And this is what I'm going to challenge you with today. I want, I want you to take the challenge of listening to someone's story. So, and not, like, don't call your daughter and say, come tell me your story. Someone you don't know. And I'm actually going to ask, this is where it's awkward. You pull up the definition of awkward. You just need to know this. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Causing difficulty. Hard to do or deal with. Causing or feeling embarrassment or inconvenience. If you don't get through this part of it, you won't enter community. This is just part of it. This is part of you becoming known. It's stepping past the surfaced Sunday idea into here is what my breath smells like. Here is what my baggage is. Here's where I need help. Here's where I'm genuinely struggling. You have to step through the awkwardness. And it's gonna be huge for some of you. And for some of you, it's not even gonna be a deal. It's going to be awkward for the people receiving you because you're going to be all up in their grill. Be ready for that, okay? So, Father, I just pray right now. If you guys wouldn't mind standing with me. When we talk about community at RCC, we believe discipleship happens in community. It's not just a program. It happens in community and most beautifully outside of here. When we talk about community and discipleship, they're synonymous. When we talk about discipleship, I just want to keep saying this so you get it. At RCC, what do they stand for? What is their version of discipleship? Well, first, it has to happen in community. And so today, Father, I pray for a challenge, God, that you would just, for somebody that they really feel like they need their story heard and somebody wants to run right now. I pray that they would find the time, God, And Jesus selected 12 to to transfer the gospel. He called however many of us are here in Smyrna to transfer the gospel through relationship. I pray today, Father, that people would be heard. And that people would speak up. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.